Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now, with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back. And today we have a special guest by the name of Valerie Fox from the Pivotal Point. And welcome, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so what I'd like to do is start with your academic background first. Where did you go to school? Well, I'm originally from New York, and so I went to uh, school. I finished my high school in New York uh, on Long Island, and then I came up to Canada, and I went to Carleton University, and I went to Ottawa U for uh, visual arts. And then I ended up going to Algonquin College for graphic design. And from there, I went uh, about nine years later, I went to Sheridan for computer graphics. And uh, I've been taking all kinds of courses on the side as well. Uh, I became a a professional coach. And I'm actually just finishing a course in featured thinking on Coursera. It's a Stanford course that is spectacular. Boy, you have been busy. And and now you're bilingual. Uh, you yeah. speak a little <laughs> bit of Canadian as well as American. That's hysterical. Yes, yes. Well, that's I, what my I wife I try not is. to speak French because I, I'm not very good at it. I'll well, my it wife way. was born in uh, Manhattan, so. Oh, yeah. So, so that's yeah, yeah. amazing. Okay, so now we know a little bit about your academic background, and you've really supported the academic system by being in uh, different schools, which is great. So Mm -hmm. now let's uh, talk about your work background up until you started the pivotal point. So I was telling you that I went back to school. I was was 29 when I went back to school. uh, It was in 1983, 84 for computer graphics. And um, I, uh, when I, I graduated, I started a company called Valerie Fox Graphic Design, where I worked on digital projects. And so I worked with developers and, um, uh, architects on training, so digital training back then. And uh, I would sit alongside this person, and together we would design these training programs that used crazy things that I'm sure none of your listeners know about called LaserDisc, where we had video on that, and um, computers that were huge. <laughs> and uh, from there, from Valerie Fox Graphic Design, I actually had... Um, one of my clients was IBM, and they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. And this was in the uh, in the early 90s uh, is when they gave me the offer, which was to be part of the very first multidisciplinary design team for enterprise software. It was a spectacular uh, opportunity for me because I got to sit with their top architects, developers, uh, and human factors people all under the whole idea of user-centered design. And um, I learned the language of all of those different people to see through their eyes how we could actually create software that people could use easily. It really was the beginning of the latest designs, and much of the software that I worked on then is still in use today. I got to be able to uh, lead teams, uh, design teams, and I 
I be, let's see, I, I became a, a creative director for a very, very large digital site. My call to fame was the Sydney Olympics, so I was a creative director for the Sydney Olympics and sites like that. I've also uh, have a number of inventions, design inventions, and one of them is the universal shopping cart for the web. And uh, that that was quite uh, something for IBM. It, was, it became one of their top 5% patents. So very, very exciting. The most exciting part of that really was the idea that something, a design concept could be patented, which was uh, just extraordinary at the time. Eventually, I became the national practice lead for user experience at IBM. And in 2006, 2007, a new president came into Ryerson University. He called me and asked me to jump ship and come to Ryerson to help him make it more um, innovative and entrepreneurial, and that was Sheldon Levy. And so I did, and that was a great, awesome move. Uh, number one, uh, Sheldon Levy is just a, an incredible leader. He just did fantastic things for Ryerson. But he also introduced me to the idea that Students were quite entrepreneurial, and he asked me to help him come up with a space for them where they could really be successful, not just the students, but also alumni and others, so young people who had great ideas and helping them to commercialize them. So together, we created the DMZ, and the DMZ originally was called um, the Digital Media Zone, but we, we changed it to the DMZ just to shorten it up because it now included companies from all different types of sectors and exponentially grew within three years. We started off with um, a space that was about, I don't know, 6,000 square feet, had about 75 people in it. By the third year, we were at 40,000 square feet, helping 450 entrepreneurs at any given time, about 85 companies at a time. By the time um, I left, which was in 2015 in July, um, we had uh, been world-renowned. We, we were uh, recognized by uh, University Business Incubator uh, organization that uh, said that we were number three in the world as far as the University Business Incubator. And um, what I learned from that experience was that putting people together where there's peer-to-peer -peer helping of one another, uh, where uh, they can um, share networks, and share assets, share knowledge, uh, really helps to accelerate the success of an entrepreneur. And what entrepreneurs need most of all, of course, is customers, but they also need access to uh, skills and people who have been through it before. So using that kind of mentality, I really felt that these became the new learning centers for education. And I wanted to spread this all over the world. I thought that this was basically the new learning or the, the new community center for learning and the economy. And um, so I started a company called The Pivotal Point, And that's what I've been doing ever since. So I, I help people all over the world uh, create incubators and excuse me, accelerators, and um, it's it's been quite exciting. This last year is mostly in Canada, all the way from um, the Yukon to Newfoundland, um, but I've also I'm also working with um, South Africa, so a place called the Schmilgong Precinct in uh, Bromfontein and Johannesburg, but I've also helped uh, uh, create a women's-led business incubator in Jordan uh, and worked in the States.
to. So, yeah, that's the history. And I, I'm also a coach, an executive coach, so I help many exec, executives in startups, but also in a large companies and uh, financial companies. And uh, I'm the, the interesting thing is I, 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 I love helping others uh, uh, to just realize their dreams and what they want to be able to do. And uh, I feel very privileged that I am able to be around these amazing innovators and entrepreneurs. You sound like a social enterprise to me. You're not just in it for the money. Oh, I, the money's, money's, money is the last reason for doing this. I'm also of a retirement age. I'm, I'm 66 years old. Um, I, I'm doing this because I really believe it's important for uh, Canada's economy, but for the world economy, and I believe that it's a new way of working. Interestingly enough, especially now in times of COVID, we're seeing that people are coming together in smaller communities to help each other. Very interesting because that actually is what incubation and accelerators are all about. They create these small communities to help each other. And if you can imagine, if you create communities of communities, then you're just your reach is exponential. You create and these are networks. You know, think of think of your community as a, one network, and then can you imagine if you now connect to multiple networks, how you can really get things going a lot faster and in a way that just makes so much sense. And one last comment about this: the other thing that's really starting to raise its head is the ability to partner in ways that we've never considered before. So we're seeing a lot more clustering of uh, startups and uh, smaller companies coming together, so that they have more um, more assets together, and then they can approach challenges and problems with uh, with greater expertise. You remind me of a lady we had on our podcast earlier last month, uh, Mary Duane from Rural on Purpose. And mm. her, her focus is getting the rural communities to help entrepreneurs. And it's, it's a very interesting approach. So, so interesting that you bring that. Oh, sorry, can I expand on that or would you like to give it? Yeah, question? no, please do. Oh, okay. So I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, one of our clients is out in the Yukon. And if you can imagine, so they have Whitehorse, which has about 32,000 people, but there's multiple, multiple um, rural communities out there. How can you help entrepreneurs in rural communities? Well, what we've been finding, especially in the indigenous communities, that uh, there's a lot to be learned of how they do entrepreneurship there. And I've kind of, what I've been finding is a reversal where learning is coming from the rural communities of how they cluster their communities to help each other and taking those kinds of learning and bringing into the city. Because I, I think a number of us have forgotten how to do that, to rely on your neighbor, to utilize each other to get ahead. Okay, that's great. So let, let's take an example in terms of what you're doing with a pivotal point. You somehow a prospect is directed to you, and what are kind of the steps that you go through to work with them? Well, I've become more of a coach than anything else, and I consider myself a whiteboard coach. So when I'm introduced to people, and I, I usually meet them because I belong to 
so many different forums and circles and and groups. I'm, um, yeah, I, I do. I, I go to a lot of meetings uh, in the morning, afternoon, in the evening, weekends, um, because I really, um, I just so enjoy being around people who get stuff done. And because of that, and because I'm I'm into giving, meaning that I I just want to help in whatever way possible. I get I do get clients that way. Some of them, some of them I just mentor because I can and I want to. And some I I actually charge. It just depends on who my clients are. When we start when we start a relationship, if it's a coaching client, then the, the first aspect is really to understand. Uh, where the person is at, what the person would like to do. Uh, usually it's a bit of a, a future exercise where you can imagine a future you would like to live in or be in, then imagine yourself in that future. What would that look like? What would you like to do? And we talk about that, and then we talk about what people are doing right now to get to that future. And, uh, and yeah, and uh, it, a lot of it's very conversational, um, but I also consider myself a bit of a, what I call a whiteboard coach. So when people talk to me, I'm an ideas person, as I was explaining, I'm a, I'm a designer. So um, I can, what I can do is listen. Uh, I, I've learned, I've been still learning to listen and, um, and then reflect it back to the person I'm speaking to, come up with all kinds of different ideas that really were in the back of the mind of the person. I'm just pulling them out. I believe everyone has their own solutions right inside them. It's just a question of what kind of questions you could ask or how can you stimulate those ideas to come out. And then um, I help uh, through coaching people to the challenge the way the way it needs to be solved and then to come up with ideas to solve those challenges for them so who is your client is it a, a company is it a community is it a government it's all of the above so I've worked for townships and and so uh, so I've worked with various people from the municipal government I've worked for um, universities I've worked for for um, uh, incubators and accelerators that are private um, maker spaces and that kind of stuff and then individuals who are CEOs or CFOs or CTOs or CMOs of uh, so founders of companies. So do any of these organizations consider social entrepreneurship as part of what they're doing? I would say most of the ones that I work with are all social enterprises of some sort. And the reason is because those are the kind of people I like to hang out with. I, I, I feel that um, companies that most of the people that I talk to are, are, are companies or the people themselves who really care about making a difference in the world and whatever product or service that they have come up with really speaks to that and, and the and people that they're helping. So, yes, I would definitely think that uh, the, um, the realm that I work in is more on the social enterprise side. What about entrepreneurship? I do work with some entrepreneurs, uh, uh, and it's funny because that, that really was what I was when I was at IBM, more of an entrepreneur more than anything else. 
and um, I kind of have that mindset. So when I did, I did um, had had I was coaching a few people who were um, employees. Um, one one is coming to mind at the moment, uh, and she worked at a bank. She still does, and uh, she she really wanted to make a huge difference uh, with her teams and that kind of stuff. So we would plan and and come up with ideas to stimulate the team to move forward in ways that they hadn't before. It was quite exciting. And uh, she did quite well. Do you work with any organizations in showing them how corporate social responsibility can be a benefit to them? Not really. I talk about it. What I've been trying to do is uh, connect to companies that have departments in uh, CSR, but in, in a different way. What I say is it would be so awesome if it wasn't a separate entity, if it wasn't a silo. It, it was, it's more of a what if. What if you could uh, really do awesome things on the social responsibility side, but it's also part of your, your mandate so that your employees get more involved in it, that it counts as a value um, it, that kind of thing. So again, so it's not a separate thought. It's not a separate pot of money that, you know, you, you do good work, but it, it somehow it doesn't influence the company really. I hope that makes sense. Sure. Talk to me about the importance of uh, partnership. But to me, partnership is everything. Um, in order to accelerate what you're doing, the best thing you could possibly do for yourself is to partner with others. They don't have to even be... It's interesting. I've been uh, looking at ways that people partner that are outside the usual way of doing it. People, I would say that I'm generalizing here, but a lot of partnerships that I saw popping up are the usual suspects, and it's more... It's it's usually one-sided, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm really, I really like a partnership where you're both, you're both or three different entities are in bed together because it satisfies all of the needs of that particular company or organization, but it also gets something else done in a magnificent way. I, I'll tell you about a partnership I just heard of, and I'm sure you've heard of it too because it's, it's been in the news, but the whole partnership of food banks and libraries right now for COVID, I think that's an awesome, it's, an, it's one of those partnerships you'd never think would happen, and what an awesome thing to happen because uh, now we have, uh, food banks now need more space to uh, to process the food and get the food to various people. Libraries now aren't being used uh, in the way that they were, but they were public-facing. So they, they, they're working together, and uh, I just think that that's just such a cool thing. When you had spoken to me about your work and, and, you, and working with churches, that's, that's an unusual partnership, and yet it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Well, with the uh, communities of faith, what we're helping to show them is that they can use the unused space, both within the buildings and on the outside. So a quick example, a Mennonite church outside of Kitchener, we're using 20% uh, of their building space, and they had four acres out outside that was totally unused, and then a former member of the congregation comes forward 
and gives them fifteen million to build a new church. <laughs> wow, that's pretty incredible. So, um, anyway, incredible. I want to get back to some of your client situations. You mentioned uh, two of them. Could you give me two more examples that you found most interesting over the last few years? Hmm. Um, let me think. Uh, I'm trying. Uh, what one of the my clients, which uh, is so very interesting, it uh, what they're trying to do, and I, it's the one that is in uh, Johannesburg in Bronson Team, and what uh, it's called Schmilgong Precinct, and it is an incubator of incubators. So if you, it's it's a block long, and it was put in place by Bits University to really stimulate uh, entrepreneurship in a place that usually was very dangerous to walk in. And what they wanted to do is basically change the street so that it became safe and that people knew that they could come there and create companies that would help them make a living and feel good about themselves and also be great for the economy and for the community. And so that's what they did. But they did it in a different way. What they did was they partnered with companies like IBM, like Cisco, like JP Morgan, like Microsoft. And each one of those different companies wanted to achieve different things for their company with entrepreneurs or with young people uh, and their and how they think in their minds to come up with solutions that would help their company but also help themselves. And um, what Chinookong Precinct does is kind of orchestrate all of these different kinds of incubators. Again, as I said, under one roof, it's almost unheard of that you have all of these very large companies wanting to be able to do this and in the vicinity of each other. It's just spectacular. Could you give us that name again? Some people may not be able to follow it or even spell it. Yeah, and here's the thing. I know I'm not saying it right because um, I'm not saying it in the. It, 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 I'm forgetting even the language that it's in, but it's called Shimilgong Precinct. It's T S H I M O L O N G O N G. I'm pretty sure that's right. Shimilgong Precinct. Uh, and uh, under WIT, so W I T S University. Terrific. Okay, so let's take a look at. Valerie Fox, and the pivotal point. And three years from now, what's it going to look like? You're not going to retire. I know that. <laughs> that is right. I don't have any intention of retiring. Um, quite honestly, I, I see myself, um, I, and I see the pivotal point, being an influencer to really help create communities of communities. Um, most of the time, I'm facilitating uh, how people can partner with one another. And, uh, yeah, I, so it's so interesting because if, maybe if I was 20 years younger and, and the pivotal point was just starting out, I would want to create a brand. I honestly, I don't care whether I have a brand or not. I just want to see this happen. I just want to see communities of communities working together in different unusual ways that really help each other move ahead. Uh, enabling more people to have access to uh, education and to food and to housing and all kinds of things that I think all people deserve. So, and I, I do believe that that happens through creating community. So anything that I can do 
to make that happen. That's what I'm looking uh, to accomplish. And uh, of course, of late, I've been working mostly in Canada, but I also like to travel. So I see myself going into other places. Maybe and maybe in three years, I'll have other experiences that I haven't seen yet. Very interesting when you travel to other countries, um, the different types of incubators and communities that are formed and how entrepreneurship is viewed. So basically I'm in a constant intelligence gathering uh, and dissemination kind of mode. So whenever I learn from each one of my clients, on to all the new clients that I happen to meet. And I'm also working for, right now I'm looking for a number of futurists because um, I'm, I was telling you that I, I, t- I took the, program called the Futures Thinking, and it really uh, helped me to look at design in yet another form, and working with futurists, I think, especially now with COVID, I think it's going to help people to get over uh, a number of barriers that they see in front of them um, right now. Lowry, you have so much knowledge and experience. Have you ever thought of running some training programs to train little Valerie's to uh, do the same thing? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, I do put on workshops, and I help others to do that. I think it's because I kind of, I kind of want my finger in a whole bunch of different pies because I'm learning so much, and then I pass it on to other people. So, what happens is, I, it's in an essence, I'm in a train the trainer kind of mode where when I join other circles of uh, consultants and futurists and various people, um, we just keep passing knowledge to one another. And it's funny that you're asking me this question because I never considered myself um, a teacher. I just like doing. And um, I think other people would be way better at it than me. Okay, so you don't want to be a trainer. When's your book coming out? I toyed with having a book uh, quite a few times. Maybe, maybe. I've been told that probably the only way someone's going to get a book out of me is if they just interview me for a few days and then all the stories will come out. I can see that. uh, Yeah, rather than me sitting down. I I don't like sitting still, and me sitting down to write is probably not going to happen. That's what I've I've learned in the last year or so because I keep promising I'm going to do it, but... I haven't yet. Okay, well, it's been uh, a great opportunity to have a discussion with you. So how do people connect with you? What's the uh, the best way to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is through LinkedIn, uh, Valerie J. Fox. And um, you'll see me right up there. It talks about the pivotal point and uh, that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, this has been fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time. And we look forward to hearing great things from you and the Pivotal Point in the future. Thanks for this opportunity. It was lovely, really. Thank you.